you. Joe, why don't you come up here and stand beside me while I introduce you. He's a little slow. <laughs> Joe, it's really funny because uh, when I found out I was going to introduce you, I wondered, how long have I known Joe for? So I got out my calculator. I figured out the years. 26 years. 26 years. We were part of a pastor's group a long time ago. That uh, Now, were you? Because you, I met John before that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I came with the package. Once you accepted John, you had to accept me. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it's been like that for the whole church. Mm -hmm. It's not been easy. <laughs> so let me tell you about Joe. Actually, you were with uh, Ken at the time, Ken Blue, when I first met you. Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. Man, we've got a lot of memories. I know, I know. Joe has been a great friend for our church and a great friend for the Atora family. Joe introduced us to the Aros... R.C. Aroma. I always get that wrong. R.C. Aroma people in Africa, Unreached People Group, and Water Wells, mm -hmm. which we got into in a major way, and mm -hmm. you, you spearheaded those things. Yeah. You've been a great influence on us and a real true friend of the Atora family. That's why John reached out and invited you to speak today. So we're thrilled that you're here, mm. and it's going to be a great message. Thanks. Lord, flow through Joe to the benefit of every person who's here and every person who's listening. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. And Ava, you do seem like an angel. Where are you? There you are. I have the privilege of being on staff at a church where her sister, Bella, leads worship, and uh, she seems like an angel and, and leads like an angel as well as you do. So it's good. I was glad to hear you were leading today. So, um, yeah, I, uh, let me just, let me get this out of the way. I failed to do this last time, but John told me that on my way out, I can pick out whatever car I want in the showroom, and I... <laughs> And I forgot to do it last time, so if one of you could remind me, I will. I like that laugh right there. Ah, yeah, right, yeah. That, that was the perfect laugh for that very silly joke. Um, well, it, it really is an honor to be. I was only here a few months ago, so, uh, it, but it, um, I, I've thought a lot about this day and being here today, and uh, it. It's an honor, it's, it's a, you know, to be invited into a family, whether it's an organic family or a church family during, during what I would call a tender moment, uh, is really an honor. And this is a tender moment for you guys. Um, I, have, I have known, I did the math too, I was curious to how long I knew John, and I, I knew it was close to 30 years for John. And I have so many memories because we have become, I mean, very close friends. I mean, he's in my, you know, he's nearly in the BFF level. He's, he's way up there for me. So I don't know if John's listening, John. Where were you? There you are, John, if you're listening. I mean that. And, uh, I mean, we have been through so many highs and lows together. Uh, we... In fact, I remember, I still remember, now John may not remember this way, but it's very clear in my mind the first time I met John, and I was at a pastor's gathering, we were at, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the church in Poway, 
And what I remember is John came and he said that his wife told me to come, made me come. Because at that time, John was a little bit of a mess, a little bit, still is probably. Uh, but, um, and we, we just struck up a friendship and over the years we have, we have to, we together for quite a long time led the inland North County pastors prayer gathering, which has been a great experience. And of course, Mark was a part of that. Uh, we've been on mission trips together, India initially, and then Ethiopia. You guys joined with us in some mission efforts that we were, some outreach church planning efforts that we were doing in Ethiopia. You were one of our significant partners that helped us to do what we were able to, to see, what God was able to do, what was able to through us there. Uh, been through some highs and, and lows. In fact, I, I've said this before, and, but I mean this. It's, it's possible that I would not be in the ministry were it not for John and Mark. Uh, years ago, now 25 years ago, our church went through a, a church split. Any, any church split alumni out there? All right, you can, we can high five or you may, maybe you need a hug still later. Uh, it was an excruciating experience and, uh, and, and they walked with me through that. In fact, I remember, you probably don't remember this, Mark, but I remember one moment in particular. It was at one of my lowest moments and I had come out of my office at the church and, and there, John, it was like, like one of the lowest, if not the lowest. And John and Mark pulled up right at that moment. Yeah, and, uh, and it was just like perfect God had just orchestrated it. And there's no two people I would have rather have been with at that moment. And here's what we did. I don't, you, I don't know how much you remember, but we went, hopped in the car. We went to the end of my parking lot, and I just vented. Probably wasn't very Christian, much less a pastor. It's just I just had to let out all of what was coming on, in, all that was inside of me. And just things, even then, begin to turn some. There was a lot more to go through. But they walked with me through that experience, and uh, and I'll and I'll never forget that. We've just we've had some great experiences. I assisted John John in, in the what I wish my parents knew. I think it's that John led, led the way with that, but I assisted him with that, and that's been a continues to be uh, just a fantastic ministry. That really John really is the one who's been spearheading that and has formed great relationships. So we have we have had some great experiences together, and so. To, to be here, and of course I've walked with John through all that they've gone through with hope, even before this cancer years ago, different things. And, and uh, you know, hope is, I don't know how well you know hope. I know a lot of you know her way better than me. She is a remarkable person. I mean, if anybody married up, and John's pretty, John's pretty high, but he way, and John would be the first to agree with that. An absolutely remarkable Woman, And so um, from the onset, as we get started, I, I really want to make something very, very clear. Uh, the first time I heard those words that I believe God laid on Hope's heart, longevity, I grabbed onto those. And I want to make it clear, I am praying that prayer, longevity, as long as she has breath. In fact, I, I think I mentioned this when I was here a few months ago. I've added another word to that healthy longevity and and i i'll wake up in the middle of the night she's not even on my mind necessarily when i go to bed but i i wake up in the middle of the night and hope comes to mind and i just start praying longevity and i am praying for her health for her healing for god to, for the miraculous healing to come as long as she has breath and then probably even a little bit after 
if, that, if it gets to that. So I want you to know that is my stance entirely. And I'm praying that and, 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 and believing God for that. Now, I'm going to get to where I'm going to in a message, but I've got to kind of warm up, if you will. When we say those things, I, I know it, it, when you've walked with somebody in the late stages of cancer or whatever, what some will often say is, well, at some point you have to let the person go. I, my father... My father passed away from, from cancer years ago. And I remember being with my mom when she spoke to him. Joe, that's, I'm a junior. You can go. I don't know how I felt about that at the time. But um, in fact, I don't think I was believe I wasn't a believing healing person like I am now. I probably would have had to walk out of the room at that point. Because I would have been praying for healing no matter w- what she felt. But that's kind of what some people say. Well, we need to let a person go. And... And I understand that, but, but, I, but let me just maybe frame that differently for you. Just suggest this. That I, I, I would suggest that it's possible to, with great confidence, hold to the promise. Hold to the promise. But then you hold, what I would say, the best way I know how to put it is you hold the person loosely. So you hold to the promise. God, I'm believing. I'm trusting. Healing, you can do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you till the very end. But I, but I hold the person loosely. Now, I do that with my kids. I do that with... My wife was on her way to Pakistan. And when she goes on... Pakistan, we're talking, a, you know, a whole country that isn't always safe for Christians. And the day I dropped her off in the plane, I got a Christian magazine and it said, Murder in Lahore. That's the capital of Pakistan. So I just... I had to, I'm, God, I'm praying. You're going to put angels to guard her. But, but God, but she's in your hands. And so that's what I mean by that. I think it's possible for us to hold on to the promises with all that we've got, with all that we have, but then hold the person, if you will, loosely. We have to do that anyway in every situation. And this, this brings me to where I want to begin to go today and what, what we find in scriptures, these paradoxes. And a, a paradox is is when there are two concepts which are seemingly opposites, and yet we hold both to be true. So they might even be diametrically opposed to each other, but we hold both of them as true. That's what we call a paradox. And actually, the Bible is filled with paradoxes. I mean, in our prayer today, I loved the prayer time when, um, I think it was Ron, Ron, where are you? Is Ron in here? Ron, maybe, maybe it was Ron, one of you anyway, prayed about how we could, there's the suffering it joy in the midst of it. And that's a paradox. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, anybody read A.W. Tozer? Got a few out there, I strongly encourage you. He has a book called The Incredible Christian, and in this book he has a list of paradoxes. I think, I think we're going to try and put them up here, because I, I like you to see, remember I was here last time, I don't know if you remember, I had all these quotes, I, so I love, to, I love to read and I throw quotes out when I'm, when I'm preaching. Well, here's a list of paradoxes that, that in his book, The Incredible Christian, he says this, the Christian believes that in Christ he has died, yet he is more alive than before, and he, and he fully expects to live forever. It gets better. He walks on earth while seated in heaven. And though born on earth, he finds that after his conversion, he is not at home here. He loses his life to save it and is in danger of losing his life if he attempts to preserve it. 
He goes down to get up. If he refuses to go down, he's already down. But when he starts down, he is on his way up. He is strongest when he is weakest and weakest when he is strongest. Though poor, he has the power to make others rich. He has, he has most after he has given most away. He sometimes does most by doing nothing and goes furthest when standing still. In heaviness, he manages to rejoice and keeps his heart glad even in sorrow. He believes that he is saved now. Nevertheless, he expects to be saved later and looks forward joyfully to future salvation. He fears God but is not afraid of him. In God's presence, he feels overwhelmed and undone, yet there is nowhere he would rather be than in that presence. Paradoxes. Paul has, Paul has a list of paradoxes. I'll, I'll get, not as many, but I'll, I'll give you a few. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes, Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And I, I want to just, even, even before... I talked to John about what I would share on. It, it, it was this passage that I found myself going to today. Especially where Paul says those words, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's a paradox. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He says that again in chapter 7, verse 4. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. And then he says this, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. There are, there are two themes, two primary themes that run through the book of 2 Corinthians more than any other, and it's, it's the theme of sorrow and joy. And I would say there's sorrow, but, right, but on top of that is joy, but they both run together. How many of you get that? You say, you know what, I totally get that. I do. I absolutely do. I, I can honestly say that as I look back at my life, my most difficult times concurrently were my most sweet, were my sweetest. And it, it doesn't make sense. You can't really explain it. I mean, we, actually, we can. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But from, from, a, from the standpoint of, of the world... From rational, logical thinking, it absolutely doesn't make sense. It is, it is a paradox of the, most, of the most extreme kind. One of my favorite pastors, he's now gone to be with the Lord. Most have probably never heard of him, Ron Dunn. But when his, one of his sons, his sons was, a, was an adult, a young adult, committed suicide. And I'd, I'd followed Ron's preaching for years and... Several months later, he gave a message kind of sharing his journey, what he'd been through. And he said these words. It's all I remember, but I never forgot it. He said this, I have never experienced so much sorrow, but I've also never experienced so much joy. Now, that's, that's almost beyond the pale. I mean, how, how, how can that be? 
But here's what this does. When we can live in these, this kind of paradox, sorrow and joy at the same time, it enables us to be incredibly authentic. Because we don't have to sugarcoat our pain. How are you doing? I'm doing terrible. We don't, have to, we don't have to put a spiritual band-aid on top of it. Some, well, you know, but I'm trusting in God. You know, or all things work. I mean, those are all true. But, but we can, when we can live in a paradox, we can, be, we can be incredibly honest and say, right now, my life sucks. I'm going through hell right now. But then there's this, there's this conjunction in Scripture it's the, I think it's a conjunction. Any grammarians can correct me later. It's the, it's the but God verses in Scripture. They're all over the place. It's the, this is happening. This is terrible. This is awful. This is painful. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Then it says, but God. Amen. One, one you would know well. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others... But God, but God who is rich in mercy. It's the, the but gods. And so we have these paradoxes. So how, how can, and, and I'm homing in on the paradox of joy and sorrow specifically today. How can this be? Now, as I go here, I'm well aware I am preaching to the choir here. There isn't a thing I'm going to go to here that you already know where I'm going to go. But, you know, sometimes if you follow sports, if you played sports, uh, when, when a team is struggling and just not accomplishing what they should, what does the coach do? They say, you know, we've got to go back to the basics. We've got to go back to the foundations of what it means to pass a basketball. And they start doing these just passes, just dribbling. And you, or whatever the sport may I play basketball, so that's the one that I go to. You've got to go back to the basics. And, and a, the more difficult things are, you got to go back to the basics, and I'm going back to the basics, which this church experiences already in, 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 an, amazing, in an amazing way. So, so the question then is, how can this be? How do you, how do you experience sorrow and joy? How, how can they merge? How can extremes, how can Iran done even begin to say, I've never experienced so much sorrow, and I've never experienced so much joy. How can that happen? Well, Paul actually answers that question profoundly at the, in the very first chapter. And I, I, I've looked at this before, but as you think about these two themes of sorrow and joy running together, I think it's significant that he actually sets us up to be able to experience that and understand that in chapter 1. So I'm going to go back to chapter 1, and here's what he writes. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Timothy, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Just want to stop there just to note, you read it, you saw it. But I love that he says the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Not some, not even most, but all, all. 
And this brings me to the word comfort that I want to speak to that you may know, but you may not. The word comfort is actually a combination of two Greek words. I'm, I'm sure you know that already. Combination, I'm kidding. Combination of two Greek words. Para, which means to alongside, and kaleo, to call. The word comfort means to come alongside. So, so catch that. The word comfort says God comforts us is that God comes along beside us. And so it's, it's a little bit of a different twist on our contemporary understanding of the word comfort. When we think of the word comfort, we think of bringing relief. We think of easing the pain, bringing encouragement. And that's, that's really the effect of something. But he says here, the word comfort is that God, God says, I come along beside you. In other words, when we're hurting, God comes. And, of course, we know when we say, we use the language, this is where our, our language fails us, our, our human, our English language fails us, vernacular fails us. We say, we even pray God come today. But, but we know it's not come from out someplace else because he's with us. He lives in us. The very God dwells in us. Every time I find myself saying those words, God lives in us, I, I always have to catch myself. Because that's so stunning. You know, I think sometimes we're so used to language, God lives in us, He dwells in us, the Holy Spirit's in us, we just kind of skip past it. But especially when I'm sharing in this context, and I just even say, God dwells in us. I just have to catch myself because it's so amazing. And so, in our pain, when we're suffering, the God of the universe comes. I mean, He just, He comes to us. And He's with us. The greatest thing, the greatest thing I would say about being a Christian isn't that we get to go to heaven when we die. That's pretty good. It's that every day, every time I wake up, every step I take, every thought I have, Jesus, God, is with me. I mean, that's just... Thank you. God, I got one over here. Would you come... Every time I preach, I'm going to bring you with me, okay? Yeah, no. Yeah, you're blessed. Well, actually, I told John, I, I, I told him, I said, I really, it's, I've been here several times. I love preaching here because you guys, you are like sponges, and that's not always the case. Makes it easy. Some of us are a little noisier in our sponging. And God bless you. But God comes to, He comes. He's there. He's with us. And that's, that's the promise, isn't that he, he, he's, he's with us. But he doesn't stave off everything. But he does say, I'll be with you. I'll be right there. One, one teacher says this, Jesus does not come to explain away suffering or remove it. He came to fill it with his presence. 
And you just can't overstate how awesome that is. And we need to see this not merely as some theological truth to embrace. It is a theological reality. But we need to, we need to embrace it as a real experience. I grew up as a Southern Baptist. Which means we taught the word, but we miss well, we miss some, I, I would say. And when I began, when we began to move into what I call my glory of God season, I began to talk about experiencing the glory of God. And I had some of my folks didn't weren't comfortable with that. And, well, they really had no choice because we began to experience God's presence. And the, the presence of God, yes, it's a theological truth, but it can be experienced. And you can't explain because you can't entirely explain it because it, it, it's not really even a feeling. I mean, there are feelings that are associated with it, but it's, you can't explain it. But every one of you know what I'm talking about. That, that experiential presence of God as He, he comes to us and we experience him now I could be labeled I'm gonna go a little further with this I could be labeled as a man of the word which means this I have spent now I turned 70 this past year I've spent 50 years preaching and teaching God called me to preach when I was 20 and I've been preaching ever since and I've been through four years of Bible college three years of seminaries and love the word. I'm in the word every day. And I absolutely love the word. But. And, and, and when we. During difficult times. We, we go to the word. We go to the word. Hey you guys. Old friends. Old New Hopers there. We go to the word. And we, we're looking for a poignant truth. Right. And God brings his word during difficult times. But I want to make a distinction. There's something unique about the presence of God without words. Amen? I love the word. I want a word. We give each other words, but there's something about just the presence of God, and there's just no words. In fact, sometimes the word without his presence can be kind of harsh even cold it's still his word it's still real but what, I, what I'm saying to you is in times when there's difficulty and pressure and there's sorrow and there's hurt and it's, and it's difficult and it's painful and you feel like crying most of the time the thing we have to lean into more than anything else is God's here his presence I, I love I thought of this, I was on my, just this morning, I was on my way here, and I, I thought of that story in, in, uh, in Exodus, where the Israelites had raised the golden calf. Some of you know where I'm probably going to go. Like I said, this message, most of you could have already given, you guys already, you lived this, but I'm, I'm just being the coach going back to the basics. And uh, God was mad, of course. In fact, he told Moses, man, I really want to destroy you, so here's what he said. I'm going to send you ahead, but I'm going to send an angel to go. And you remember what Moses said? 
Yeah, it's probably the only time that somebody ever said no to God and he liked it. Because <laughs> he said, you know what, if, if, you don't, if you don't go, I, we don't want to go. That's why we're in this thing. It's your presence. And, and that's, that's what you just, you lean into. You lean into God's here. And I'm going to trust you. Now, I want to go, I want to say, there's a second point I want to, that Paul gets us to that we need to get to here. I know you got that one. Let me read verse 4. He says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are partners in our suffering, so also you are in our comfort. And I love this because Paul says, I was, I'm being afflicted. I'm, in fact, he goes on to say he despaired of life. I'm hurting. But God's comforting me. And then he says, and so now I can comfort you with the same comfort that God gave me. And just what I simply want to pass, just emphasize, is that there, as we go through suffering and pain and sorrow, it's obvious the point we're equipped it's the best seminary in the world um, there's an equipping that takes place when we're comforted I remember when my I mentioned my dad when he contracted uh, lung cancer and uh, I was very very close to my dad and when he had his first chemo treatment, and it's, I've been to other chemo treatments, but this was, this was the first one. I don't know why it was the way it was, because I don't know if it was some kind of thing that we did. I, I didn't know if he was going to live through the chemo. I don't know if that was, there was a reality, but that's what I thought. And then what made it worse, they brought us into this, this room that had all these machines. I don't know if that's, that's the only time I've ever seen it like that. All these machines, it was kind of dark, and it was just me and him in there, and I was watching... And I was, just, I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time, concerned about what would happen. And I went home from that experience, and I did something that some people might have thought, thought strange. I got on the phone, and I called every person I could think of in my church who had gone through chemotherapy. And I just said, I'm so sorry, I had no idea what you went through. I know I try to comfort you, but I can guarantee you I didn't bring you near the comfort that I would now. Because I'd, I'd gone through it. And that's what God does. He, he teaches us how to comfort others. We're equipped. But what I want to emphasize even with that is that we need to learn from God. And that is that the main way, the main way we bring comfort to others is the main way God comforts us, which is His presence. 
That's the way, main way we bring his presence. I think sometimes we're too quick for, with words. Amen. In fact, a lot of times we're too quick with words. How many of you say you've been on the other end of that? I know you love me. I know you mean well. But I need you to shut up. Once again, I learned that the first time by experience. It was my first staff position as a youth pastor. I was 20. And uh, it was a relatively large church. And all the staff, the senior pastor, the executive, all the different pastors decided to go to Israel without me. And they left me in charge to preach and do it all. And uh, I got a phone call that one of the young men in our church, about 17, 18, had gone out on a boat off the coast here of San Diego and with his friends, and the boat died, and they were out there, and they were out there a long time. And at some point, you know, you could see the land. It can be very deceiving because it looks closer than it really is. And he had a surfboard in the boat, so he decided, I'm going to hop on the surfboard and go get help. Well, a few hours later, they found the boat. They never found him or the surfboard. So I get this phone call, and I know i got to go see the family. Well, I'd never gone through anything like that before. This was my first challenging pastoral situation. I called my father-in-law, who was a godly deacon in the church, wonderful, caring man, and I said, Jim, I really think you ought to go. And he wisely said, no, Joe, you need to go. He didn't even go with me. So all the way over there, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How do I do? I, I had no clue. And I got there, and as far as I can remember, I didn't say a word. I just sat in the living room with the family. Didn't, I don't know if I said anything. I didn't know what to say. I at least knew not to make something up. I may have. I don't think I did. But I just sat there. That's my recollection. I just sat there. In fact, I know, because I remember thinking later, I just was there. And what struck me is later on, the family spoke to my, my in-laws and said, man, Joe was amazing. <laughs> he brought so much comfort to us. And all I knew is I just showed up. And I began, I, I learned that it's, it's our presence. I, I can think back, I'm thinking now of the, our church, uh, uh, my first trauma as a, as a pastor. I started New Hope Church in 1981, and about three years into it, we were going through a, a thing we call the Constitution process. Anyway, it's a whole little deal. But we were setting out our bylaws, and some of our traditional Southern Baptists didn't like the direction we were going because I was a little bit avant-garde in how I did things. And next thing I know, they were writing letters to the congregation. They were having meetings behind my back. I was 31 at the time. Now, mind you, in my culture growing up, when you're going to be a preacher, it means you're one of the young leaders in the church. We, we were called preacher boys. And you were, you know, you were like the golden child. I mean, nobody had ever criticized me. I was the golden child. And this was my first experience in a church where people were after me. And it broke me. It just tore me up. I mean, I got physically sick. I, I literally, I, I had to, I read my sermon because I was so sick. But back then, I didn't know you didn't have to show up every service. That wasn't, wasn't allowed in preachers in those days. At least I didn't think so. 
And I'll never forget, once again, one of my lowest, uh, Ken Gowan. Some of you may know Ken. You guys know Ken. At least you do, Brian. Uh, he was one of my leaders in the church. I think he might have been on staff at the time with me. But he comes up to my house, and he's a 6'2", kind of a, you know, husky, not overweight, just a strong guy. And I go outside to meet him, and all he did was just wrap his arms around me. I don't know if he said anything. And he just hugged me. And once again, he just, he just showed up. You know, I think sometimes we, we don't want to make that call. We don't want to make that visit because we don't know what to say. How many of you guys, you know, I didn't know what to say, so we do nothing. And the truth is, you don't have to say anything. You don't need to say anything. You just need to show up. You just need to, because it's, it's your presence that makes the difference. Just as it's God's presence, His presence makes the difference. By the way, I, I, I'm going to do this real quick. Can, can you hand me that chair? This is, more, this is a little more light. But I'm going to teach you the, the, the five-minute visit at hospitals or anytime somebody's hurting. I learned this. It's one of the things I learned in seminary that I remember. You know, usually when you go to the hospital, first of all, people are really sick. They don't want you to hang around. They, they, they make themselves stay awake because they don't want to offend you. And, and they don't really want to engage in a lot of conversation. And, but, and a lot of times, we don't know if we really want to be there. So we're, we get there, we're fidgety, we're looking at our watch, we're going like this. And we may stay 30 minutes or an hour. But because we look like we're in a hurry, it looks like we're in a hurry. So when we go, people think, you know, boy, they, they weren't here very long. So here's what you do. Here's the five-minute visit. You go, and you just go like this, and you just sit back and get as comfortable as you can. You look like you're going to stay there a while. And you just listen and you smile. And in about five minutes, you say, you know what? It's so good to be with you, can I pray? And you pray and then you go. And it'll feel like you've been there a long time, but you weren't. So there you go. The five-minute visit. Strong. I've done that so many times in, office, in, in hospital visits. But it's, it, it's, just that you, it's just that you showed up that made the difference. Um. And so God equips you, but I want to say one more thing, then I'll, then I'll be done. Not only is God equipping you as an individual, is that especially, Mark and I were talking before the service, and uh, he mentioned something. It's one thing when a church family member goes through the kind of thing that Hope and their, the Ator family is, but it's another thing when the pastor is, because you do go through it together, you journey it together in a unique way. And I think... Actually, I think your church would, no matter who it was, more so. But you go through it together. Because what God is doing, what God is doing right now and has been doing in your church, He's not just equipping individuals. He's equipping the congregation. You guys are, are being equipped to be, and are equipped to be a genuinely caring body. One more little story. Um, when New Hope was three years old, one of the, the leaders in our church, his, his name was Don Wilson. He was this, he was this wonderful, 
probably one of the most servant-hearted men I've ever known. He was an executive at General Dynamics, which used to be here years ago. Anybody remember General Dynamics from a long time ago? Um, he was an executive at General Dynamics, just a powerhouse of a guy, but just a servant. And we became very close, and one day I was trying to get a hold of him, couldn't get a hold of him. His wife was out of town, called two or three days, and go, something's not right. So I went to his house, knocked on the door, turned the, turned the knob, it was unlocked, went in, and I heard some moaning. He was in the back in his bedroom. He'd had a massive stroke. So we called the hospital, or called the emergency. It was in his, in his uh, brain stem, which is one of the worst places you can have a stroke. And uh, they told us he only had a few weeks to live. And, but during that time, our congregation, we just, we just camped out at the hospital. I mean, we just every time you go, New Hopers were there. Now, over the years... New Hope had many of its faults. But we did have a reputation, I believe, from what people said of being a caring, warm, loving congregation. And I really do believe that was birthed through our experience with Don Wilson. It, it, it changed us. It transformed us. We learned how to be a congregation that cared for people. And God's doing that with all of you, has been doing it. And I just, I just want to say this. I have followed this, what the Atours have gone through for pretty closely for many. I call John every couple of weeks. How's it going? What's happening? And I'm constantly praying. And I just want to say you guys have been remarkable. You really have. And again, I'm praying for hope's healing. But whatever happens, this congregation is a special congregation. We live in a world where people are hurting and suffering and pain and just mounting. And this world needs people like the gathering place. And God is equipping you to be that kind of congregation. And, and especially you're well equipped because you already lean into the presence of God. And so I just, I just leave you with that, what you already know. During this season, just continue to do what you already know. Just lean into the presence of God. And you'll experience the, the paradox, whatever God does, you'll experience the paradox of, of pain and difficulty. And I'm praying for exhilaration through healing. But even through the suffering you've gone through, you experience the joy of what you've had to go through till now. And God will use you to make an impact in, in the lives who, who, who touch this place. I need to say one more thing. I've seen this. I experienced this at New Hope. A lot of times when a church goes through a, a difficult, trying time, when that season is over, and there may not be any here, but it, I, I saw this happen at New Hope. When that season is over, some people leave. And I, I, I never could figure that out. I go, wait a minute, you were here when it was difficult. Why are you leaving now? And it's like, well, because I stayed because, you know, I needed to. But what I want to say to you is don't leave. There's even one of you who would consider that. Remember what I'm saying to you. Because you want to be here to be a part of this congregation that God uses 
to comfort and encourage those whom God will bring to you in the days ahead. Well, I'm going to pray, and then I think we're going to worship and experience His presence a little more. Ava, why don't you come on up? Let me pray. Father, we just want to bless you and praise you and thank you that you are here, you are with us, that you've chosen through the death of your Son to be Emmanuel, the God who is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. on? Yes, it is. I had a sense for uh, how we apply this message, and it's so simple. We're going to, you're going to sing Holy Spirit song, right? Which is an invitation. You're seeking his presence, but it's an invitation. Come and fill this place. And whatever you've come here today with, if you came here needing comfort, we want you to take up this opportunity as the song is being sung um, and if the prayer team could come up that would be good our prayer people as the song is being sung and if you're in need of comfort I invite you just to come to the front and you're going to receive that comfort and here's the rules for today prayer team you don't say a word okay you just put your hand on their shoulder and you just be there for them and let God do the, let God do the comforting. Let Him do the, the presence and the peace. So, if you've got any need where you need the presence of God, come forward during worship, and we'll see to it that you receive prayer without words. Okay. Let's do it. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free. Shame is
someone was going through a, a really, really hard time the last month or so, and uh, the Lord prompted me to send a text. And this is what it says, because I think there's a number of people here that are going to identify with, with this word. I've been praying for you, and I had a thought that might be helpful for you. For some reason, my phone's not working. I've been praying for you, and I had a thought that might be helpful for you. For some reason, many Christians walk away from God when they're in a crisis, especially one that involves their own bad choices. I think they do this because they wrongly believe that they can't come to God until they fix their mess. Sort of like, I have to be at my best in order to approach God. This results in them being cut off from the source of help they most need. When we're in trouble, we need to come to God with our problem. He does not judge us for them. His desire is to help us overcome them. The same applies to our church family. We don't judge a fellow Christian. We seek to help them through the problem. I don't know if this helps, but please know that we're here to support you through your process without blame or shame. You don't have to do it alone. Feel free to call anytime. If you are here today and you've been thinking, I have to clean myself up before I can approach God. And that mess, this message is for you. The welcome mat is always out. The porch light is always on. Stop running away from him when you're in trouble. <laughs> Start running to him when you're in trouble. Because he is always, always, always yearning to welcome you home. Because above all things, he's your father. And he's the best father ever. You can come to him for comfort. He wants you to come to him with your problem. So he can fix it. Just by being with you. So if that's you. Just come to him. If that's you, come get a hug. Since you handed me this, the Lord took me back to a memory of when I started dating Glenda. Um, was that in the 90s? Long way back. Um, I got sent off to during Desert Storm and I got hit with real fear and anxiety over that time <laughs> just met the love of my life and I had to leave her back here and uh, I just knew 
someone would come and steal her away or, you know, I didn't know how long we'd be gone. And, uh, but she sent me a card every day. And in one of them, it said, don't worry. Worry and fear is like a rocking chair. It's something to do, but it will take you nowhere. I just got the impression that maybe some of you guys have been sitting in the rocking chair, worrying. And if you refuse to get out of the chair, at least stop ruminating on the fears and replace it with the Word of God. Otherwise, get out of that chair and walk in faith. Let Him love you. Let Him hug you. Let Him cry with you. And that's what we do as a body and as a family. Just one more invitation. If that's you he's talking about, come forward and get prayer. If you're the one I was talking about, come forward and get prayer. said you can settle for the hug it's better it's better than the prayer anyway so okay let's go